Hello, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbridge and so glad to have you joining us online. You're welcome here. Uh, I hope that this sermon is helpful and is encouraging to you no matter what's going on in life or no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. Uh, for now, enjoy this sermon. Again, hope that it's helpful and I hope to have the opportunity to meet you in person. Would you remain standing with me? And I've got a prayer that we can read together. So if you'd like to add your voice to this, you can read along with me. Lord Jesus, master of both the light and the darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. We who have so much to do seek quiet spaces to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people, walking in darkness yet seeking the light. To you we say, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I want to welcome you this morning. My name is John, one of the pastors here, and um, I'm glad to have you with us here this last Sunday before Christmas. Can you believe it's, it's almost here? I know, both exciting and some are like, oh my goodness, I've got a few days left to get all the final things in place. But I hope, again, that um, you know, with our reading there, we're just reminded of the importance of continuing to go back to being with Jesus and his presence among us in the way that he leads us to be present with one another. And I hope that you've been experiencing that this season. I hope that our Advent um, cards uh, have been helpful to you uh, in that. Um, we are definitely in full Christmas celebration mode. Our, our high school and middle schoolers had Christmas parties this uh, past week with lots of fun and laugh, lots of laughter and joy and friendships, and so we're excited to see uh, what's going on there. I believe our high school party was put together by the, the high school student leadership team, and they did a fantastic job. I dropped in just for the last little bit of it, enough to see that yeah, they did a great job and had a lot of fun. So I hope you were able to experience that, at least if you were of the, the right age. Otherwise, you can volunteer with them, and then you still get to have the fun, even though you're not that age, which is um, a win-win all around. Um, I want to remind you, our candlelight services are coming up this coming Saturday and Sunday, both days, 4 and 6 o'clock. Um, and so on that Sunday, the 24th, no uh, services in the morning. It'll be in the evening. Um, but want to encourage you, to be praying about and inviting friends and family. Um, we've prepared these with your friends and family in mind uh, to be a warm, a welcoming evening, an evening where they won't feel weird or strange or out of place or like they don't know what's going on. We've thought about those things as we put the, the service together and, and want it to be a really meaningful night for you and a, a great opportunity for them to come and to hear the good news of Jesus and to, to feel the warmth of a place that would welcome them uh, wherever they're at in their spiritual journey. So, um, yeah, I would, would love to have you invite them. And remember cookies. 
cookies, 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 make things better. So you can bring, if you're, if you're wanting to bring them early, bring them uh, on Thursday. It seems like, say, that's like 10 and 2. Otherwise, you bring them when you show up, and we'll put them out there, and we'll just enjoy cookies after the services. Um, they will be, by the way, somebody asked me last week, are the services inside or outside? They're inside um, this year. So, yes, I do believe we're going to have the pavilion open for, with, some, with the, the uh, pit fire uh, heaters on, um, so you can kind of hang out there afterwards with some cookies and cocoa, but, um, but in here uh, will be uh, nice and warm and cozy. Um, and then Sunday the 31st, we will be gathering normal times, and um, we will be kicking off our 24 hours of prayer. Um, you can find information about that in the church app, and that allows you to sign up to, to take a half an hour time slot. You can sign up for more than one if you want, back to back or throughout those 24 hours. But we really want to start this year as a church in prayer, seeking the Lord, listening to Him, crying out to Him. And um, this is something we, we all want to do together. Um, this is not something that just a select few are going to do. We want to invite all of you um, to be a part of that. So please do check that out. And if you don't know how to get into the app or something, contact us at the office, and we'll, we really want to help you with that. And then for those of you who are looking already into the new year, I mentioned last week that on the 14th of January, we're going to start a class, Money Matters, on Sunday afternoons, 4 to 5.30, Dale McCormick will be teaching that, six weeks, free class, um, but helping you with things like budget and getting out of debt and how to handle and manage the money that God has entrusted to you in a way that honors him. And so we've just found that, uh, he's found that to be an extremely helpful class, and we want um, uh, we want to offer that to you, especially in the new year. Um, before we jump into our text, a couple things. I, I want to just spend a minute in prayer. And, um, and uh, Dick, we are so grateful to have you and your family here. And we've been praying for you. Um, and we've, we're praying for you and LaVon. We're praying for you uh, with LaVon's uh, passing. And um, would like just to take a moment to pray uh, with you. And then in a moment, I'll just ask for any of you who are just struggling with things, whether it's loss or anything that's going on. We just want to take a moment uh, to pray for you as well. But I would just invite if there's anybody in, in Dick's life group or family members who want to just surround him right now, um, we just want to pray for you, Dick, as we know this is a particularly hard time. And we love you and want you to know that your family is here for you, okay? So um, if I could just pray. Lord, um, it's a season like this that has this unique um, intersection of, of grieving and of celebration. It's Christmas. I mean, it's the grieving of so much of the darkness into the world. It's the celebration of your light coming into the world. Lord, the loss of Levon is the grieving of her, the loss of her life. It's a celebration of her life and, her, and, and of her faith in you. God, we pray for your nearness and your comfort and your peace over Dick and his family as they both grieve and celebrate. We thank you, Lord, that we know you're near. We pray that your presence would be felt among them. We thank you for the dear part they are of this church family and for the opportunity to be family together and to walk these roads, to rejoice when we rejoice with others and to grieve as we grieve together as well. 
for any of the rest of you who are uh, experiencing a loss or difficult um, things in life right now, whether you want to stand and have people around you or you just want to, to know that this prayer is for you as well. And we pray, Lord, for those who um, are grieving. We pray for those who are um, experiencing loss. For those who are um, hurting, Lord, we again take our place, our hope in you. And thank you, Lord, that we can express the realness of our emotions, of our questions, of our confusions, uh, of all of it. We can bring it to you and know that you listen and know that your hope is there for us. So thank you, Lord, for listening. Thank you for being our Savior, Hallelujah. for being our comforter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, as we prepare uh, to jump into our text today, I thought there was a video clip that might just help set us up for what we'll be studying today. So if you will, go ahead and take a look at the screen with me. He's making a list. Checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to have seen the movie Elf, and you might recognize that scene. We trimmed it down a little bit, but that scene came from the, the belief, right, that Santa's real, but for all these people who didn't believe that Santa was real, that Christmas spirit needed to spread in order for the sleigh to get off the ground, right? And so as one person stepped forward and said, I'm going to be the first to call us to sing and to call other people to believe and to sing, and then others start singing as well and maybe believing. And then, and then the sleigh goes off higher and higher into the air as more people believe and sing. Now, that is not true of Jesus in that he does not need us to sing louder. It's not that Jesus flies higher and has more power as we sing louder and as we believe. And yet he does receive more glory as we praise him and more eyes are lifted to him as we speak out and sing out of our belief, but it does not change who he is or his abilities. And yet the opening verses of the book of John are written in such a way to cause us to praise, to lift our eyes and go, wow, like, who is this that John's writing of that would come to be with us, that he's claiming to be God in human 
flesh come to be with us. And John is writing in such a way that we would believe and saying that all who believe in him do have life, that the benefit is for those who believe and who receive. And in our passage today, John speaks of the, important, the importance of bearing witness to Jesus, to calling people to belief. But he also does so in a way that rightly understands who we each are and the importance of understanding who God has created uniquely each person to be as we go about bearing witness to God in human flesh. If you're able, uh, stand with me for the reading of our passage today. In John 1.19 through 28, says, This was John's testimony. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He didn't deny it, but he confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked, Are you Elijah? I'm not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Well, who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He's the one coming after me whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the road, or across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. You may be seated. Across the road, you know. Across the river, across the road. <laughs> Do you notice in these verses how John clearly speaks about who he is not versus who he is? Knowing who we are not helps us to focus more clearly on who God has created and designed us to be. And that's really important. Imposter syndrome is a real thing, right? And those voices, those internal conversations that we have with ourselves often saying that who you are isn't enough. It isn't who other people are looking for. It's not who other people want in their lives. And so we begin this pursuit of trying to become like somebody else in hopes that we will be enough, we will be accepted. And so much of life can then easily be a disappointment, a frustration with who we are in the pursuit of who we want to be. Have you ever taken one of those personality tests or something, and as you're taking them, you find yourself struggling to answer them, not honestly of who you are, but who you wish you were, or who somebody else is, or who, how you wish you would respond in a situation? Sometimes a real struggle to say, this is who I am and who God designed me to be, and it's different from who somebody else is. But knowing who you are not only allows you, who you are not allows you to receive and fully live into who God, in fact, created and designed you to be. And that's exactly what we see in John the Baptist's testimony here. Important people want to know who he is. They send the Levites and the priests ahead. 
Who are you? The Pharisees are asking. All of these religious leaders are asking you, and they're curious because they see John's unique lifestyle. This is John the Baptist we're talking about, by the way, not John the Evangelist. John the Baptist. They see him living out in the wilderness, eating these strange things, dressing in strange ways, baptizing people, and they have this strange suspicion that he is either the Messiah or he's somebody really important, perhaps somebody that they've been anticipating in their Jewish history who would come to inaugurate God's kingdom, and they want to know who is he. But notice that John's first responses are to let them know who he's not before he tells them who he is. Because in order to understand and receive who God really has called us to be, we also have to know who we are not. And John knows who he is because God spoke an original design over him just like he has every one of us. Before even you're born, God created and designed each and every one of you in specific and unique ways with gifts and with talents that God would give you, with a calling on your life that God would give you. And John knows his. Remember his father, Zechariah, prophesied prophesied it over him at his birth. Do you remember the scene? Zechariah was ministering there at the temple, and he goes into the temple. This is before John is even conceived, and he goes into the temple, and the angel tells him that his wife is going to become pregnant, and John just, or I'm sorry, and Zechariah just can't believe it, and, and out of that, the angel makes him mute until the baby will be born. So he goes all these months of not being able to speak, but no doubt God is doing things in his mind and in his heart this whole time. Uh, and when John the Baptist is finally born, Zechariah is able to speak, and the people are listening. And when he speaks, he speaks clearly both of who Jesus is, and then he speaks prophetically about his son and the role that he'll have. And this is his original design that shapes who John the Baptist understands himself to be these 30-something years later in the passage that we're at today. The scene, though, at his birth is found in Luke 1, 66, and it so it says like this, All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? Speaking of John the Baptist. For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and pr- provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. So he's speaking of Jesus here. He's dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been recognized from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And then he shifts to speak about his son, John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge, knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 
This is significant both for our understanding of the passage today, but also of understanding our, our own lives. God has created, I want you to hear this, God has created each and every one of you unique. Every one of you unique from each other with an original design and with purposes that he has for your life. And John knew that. He knew that he wasn't the one that they were searching for, but he was to come and to tell them about the one that they were searching for. And so he answers them, I'm not the Messiah. Messiah means God's anointed Savior. And John knows, I'm not your hope. I'm not your salvation. I'm not the one with power to bring forgiveness and redemption and freedom. I know who is, but I'm not the one. And that's important for us to remember. And, and you might say, well, I mean, I don't think of myself as the Messiah. I know better than that. I know I'm not the Savior. And I think in most cases that's true. But, but wouldn't we also say that there are times in which in our own minds and our hearts we do live in such a way as we want the focus back around us as if we are, whether it's in ministry or in life. You know, I want people to know I'm important. I want people to come and seek me out. I want people to value my opinion and what I have to say and to listen to me and, and, and want things to go my way. I know what's best. And, and so while it might not be saying, hey, I'm the Savior, there are ways within our hearts and our minds that we can easily drift into putting ourselves in a position where we shouldn't be, a place where the attention is drawn more to ourselves than it is to Jesus, and where we do try to take on roles and responsibilities that aren't for us to carry. So John says, I'm not the Messiah, I'll tell you that. And then he says, and I'm not Elijah. And this one's kind of interesting to me. I think this one shows some real unique spiritual maturity of John the Baptist here. Because there are a lot of ways in which John the Baptist's life and ministry does reflect Elijah. He is to come and to prepare the way for um, to prepare the way for God's Savior in ways that are reflective of Elijah. But he knows that just because his his mission is similar and his ministry is similar doesn't mean he's the same person as Elijah. Elijah was a very specific person, a very specific figure. Who, who played a very important role in Israel's history. He was a prophet, and he miraculously was taken up to heaven in a, in a chariot without even dying. And the people were waiting for Elijah, believing that when he came, he would come and inaugurate God's kingdom and God's promised Savior in a unique way. And so while John knows that, hey, I'm coming to point people to Jesus, to prepare the way, I'm not him. I'm not Elijah. They believed that, that this about Elijah because of what the prophet Malachi told the people to expect. In Malachi 4, it says, Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. It sounds very similar to some of what Zechariah prophesied over him. And it sounds similar even to what John the Baptist says of himself in just verses to come when he says who he is. But for me, this is an important point for us to recognize that just because God gives you a ministry and purposes that might be similar to somebody else's doesn't need, mean that you need to become them in order to carry those out. And I think a lot of times that's a struggle of ours. Man, I really admire what I see in that person I want to become them. I don't like myself. I want to be them. As, as a pastor, it could be like, man, 
there's all these people who have this influence in this style of preaching, in this way of leading, in this way of dressing, in this way of doing things. And man, I want to have an impact they have. I want to do what they do. And so I, I'm not enough. I need to become like them. And maybe you feel that in some ways in your own life. Like, I think God has called me this. There's these stirrings that God has put in my heart. There's these things that I'm really clear I'm to be about. But I'm not sure I'm the one, and so I need, to, I need to kind of copy and be like somebody else. And I know that's not all that's happening here in the text, but I see that as part of what John's able to do is to distinguish between Elijah and the role that he played and himself and the role that he's playing. And while in some ways they're similar, saying, but I'm not him because I know who I am and I know who God designed me to be, and so that's who I'm going to live out. The same, maybe a similar mission, but I am not Elijah. So then they said, well, if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah, then, you know, are you the prophet? And this one is a little less clear who uh, maybe he's talking about, but, but most scholars believe that uh, he's referring to what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 18. And this is what, this is what he wrote, Deuter, uh, what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 18 about this prophet. Uh, and notice that they say the prophet. There's a specific prophet he's talking about here. The Lord your God will, rise, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. Then the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. And so they're wondering, are you this prophet, this one that Moses spoke of, and we know that this is a significant prophet, are you that one? And he says, I'm not. Because John knows just as he's not the Messiah, that this prophet is a very specific person in their mind. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what Moses wrote here. Jesus is this prophet who was raised up to come, who is not only prophet, he's priest and he's our king. And Elijah has clarity that he's not that person. I think it could have been tempting for Elijah to blur the lines on these things, right? To say, well, I'm technically not, you know, the prophet. And I'm technically not Elijah, but I'm an awful lot like him. I mean, I'm basically the same. Because he does have a prophetic voice. He is going to speak prophetically. And he is preparing the way. So he could be like, well, not technically, but let's just, for sake of making things simpler, I'll just say, yes, I am. But he didn't do that. John knew clearly who he was not. He knew clearly who he was and the purposes that God had for him. And he had the character to match it, to say, not only my, that, like, no, I'm not going to fudge on it. This is who I am. Knowing who you are not shouldn't be misunderstood to indicate that you're of less significance or value. What it should do is allow us to, to receive who God has designed you to be. To say, God, who have you made me to be? I want to know, I want to understand, I want to receive. And then to fully live that out in confidence of knowing that who God created you to be is of significance, is of value, is of worth, unique from anybody else, but not lacking in significance because you aren't somebody else. So then John shifts to who he is. Now they're like, okay, if you're not all these people, 
then what are you doing? And how come you're baptizing people? Like, we want to know. We want to understand. So John says, I'm a voice in the wilderness crying out. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. John's identity and his purpose are really tightly connected here, which is important for us to understand, that we don't separate our purpose of what God's calling us to do from the person that he's called us to be and, and, and our identity in that. He knows he's a prophetic voice for those who are lost, for those who are wandering, for those who are in darkness and who are hurting. And John's mission, like ours, is to prepare the way that people would hear of Jesus and that they would receive and choose to follow him in belief. Whatever gifts and talents and resources and experiences that God has given you are for you to receive knowing that they aren't to be separated or compartmentalized from what God desires to do in and through your life. These aren't just for your own sake alone. They aren't for making your own life better or more comfortable. But God entrusts to you talents and gifts and experiences and say, I'm shaping you, I've designed you to be one who would prepare the way and who would point people to Jesus. Think about that for a moment. What are some of the unique ways that God has put your life together? What are some of those resources and talents and gifts that he's given you? Who are the people that he's put around you in your life? He's given you influence over, and maybe not somebody else, but he's given you an influence in that person's life. Who are those people? And how would God be preparing the way for you to go and to, and to point them to Jesus in ways that he's not doing through other people? How might God be saying, I've, I've created you in a unique way to bear witness of me in these unique relationships and places with what I've given you? Make this a point of prayer and of reflection and of discussion with those people in your life. If you haven't been through living free, you know, this is a big part of what living free is. To understand who has God designed you to be? How do we live in freedom in pursuit of that and not entangled by the strongholds that sin and Satan bring into our lives? 